Welcome to Under the Oaks. I'm Lauren Thompson. And I'm Pastor Trent Sari. Welcome. We're coming to you live from WKLC Studios in downtown Pleasant Springs, Wisconsin. Today we have before us the topic of prayer. And uh, maybe you're wondering why we're bringing that up now, right? We've been talking about the work of the Holy Spirit, and we've been talking about the work of Jesus Christ. But certainly prayer is something that can only be done in the Spirit and directed through Christ to God. So it's an appropriate place to talk about it now. And of course, it's a topic that's very popular and um, many people like to discuss it and read about it. There are countless books written. I'm sure if you went to a Christian bookstore, you'd probably find a whole shelf full of prayer books or books about prayer. And uh, there's a lot that could be said about it and a lot that has been said about it that's probably not very helpful or accurate. So hopefully today we'll be able to dispel some of the, the myths or some of the mischaracterizations of prayer and help us to get a clearer picture of how the Bible talks about it. Now, I guess I would I just begin by asking Lauren a question here, and that's kind of maybe a strange question. Lauren, when did you learn how to speak? It's probably, uh, I don't know, single digits, um, three. And how did you learn how to speak? I don't, I don't really remember. So um, I, would, I would guess just repeating back, copying. Yeah, well, exactly. So the point is, is at that age, you didn't have some sort of book that you were working out of. You didn't have a workbook on how to talk. No. You didn't have an instruction list on here's what you do, step one, step two, and so on. No. Hindsight 2020, though. Yeah. <laughs> I, I should have gone to the library. Yeah. Well, it, you know, would have been helpful, right? The, the point is, is that talking is uh, just a natural thing that we do as human beings, speech, communication. It's been with us since our earliest days. Before we could even talk, we were being talked to, right? Your parents were talking to you and Sometimes they would make the, the baby gibberish or whatever. And yep. Of course, you'd laugh and, and smile at them and whatever. But pretty soon, you began to mimic them. You began to contextualize. You began to understand that certain sounds and certain words accompanied cer certain things, whether it was food or whatever it might be. And so it was just a natural process. And the people that you talked to in those formative years were always the people that were talking to you, uh, namely your parents, maybe your siblings. So... In many ways, this is kind of similar to prayer. Prayer is not something that is unique to New Testament believers. In fact, we can go back to the Garden of Eden itself, and we see that man was designed, he was created to live in communion with his creator. And of course, that always implied communication. And that communication went two ways, two different directions. So God speaks to us, and we speak back to him. But the important thing there being that our words that we use are informed by the words that he speaks to us. We learn to speak the language that our Father first speaks to us. And so in many ways, this, this is going to apply in prayer. And we'll, and we'll talk more about that. But I think it's worth pointing out that this is something that predates the fall into sin. Now, obviously, since the fall into sin, it becomes much more difficult for us, and uh, we're not inclined to it. We don't, we don't always understand it or see it properly. 
But Christianity is hardly unique in the sense of praying. I mean, uh, many world religions have prayers and so on, prayers to their gods, which is not surprising when we think about it because there was only one religion in the beginning. And over time, after the fall into sin, all these other religions of the world just become perversions of the true religion. So, Let's get started then. We'll just start with a basic question. I guess if you had to define prayer, how would you define prayer, Lauren? Speaking to God. Speaking to God. And that's probably a a pretty accurate account. So Psalm 19, verse 14, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And there, the reference to words of my mouth could certainly include prayer, and the meditation of my heart could also include prayer. Uh, Certainly, when we pray to God, we are speaking from the heart, or at least we ought to be, right? And sometimes that means that the words are, are spoken out loud, but not always. We can also pray silently or within ourselves, and God hears those as well. But speaking to God, and that would imply that we have something to say to him. So, we'll talk more about that in a second. Philippians 4, verse 6, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You know, that that's uh, pretty straightforward, although I do think that sometimes people approach prayer and they see God kind of like a genie in a bottle. You know, he's simply there to grant my wishes. So we see to ourselves that we dictate to God what we want, how we want it, when we want it, and like he's some sort of servant that owes us and he better do our beck and call. In fact, there's many books that seem to imply that as well. You know, if you just speak the right words as if uh, prayer or the words of prayer have some sort of magical incantation that somehow evokes God's service to you, or, you know, if you, have, if you know the right words to speak, you can unlock these treasures of blessings that he'll pour upon you, whether that be health or wealth or fame or whatever it might be. Um, a lot of people see prayer that way. And again, remember that picture. We learn to speak because we were first spoken to. If nobody is there to speak to a baby, the baby doesn't learn to speak. So with prayer, it's the same way. We are informed, we learn prayer by first hearing our Father speak to us. And a lot of people turn that around and they say, well, God speaks to me through prayer. Well, that's not entirely accurate. Psalm 141, David says, let my prayers rise before you as incense, the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. So the direction of prayer is from us to God. But God speaks to us. He certainly answers our prayers and he hears our prayers and all of these things. But we have to be careful that we don't see prayer as a means by which God speaks to us. Certainly he can answer our prayers. He can close certain doors, open certain windows for us, whatever it might be. But where can we say definitively, thus saith the Lord? Well, only in the scriptures. So if we think about this conversation between us and our creator, it's important that we understand where God speaks to us and then uh, how we, we speak in response. So prayer is certainly an act of worship, right? It's an act of worship in which we speak to God from the heart, asking something of him or 
you know, maybe thanking him for his mercies, uh, especially thanking him, probably. You know, the question would be, well, why do we pray? And in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. So, throughout the scriptures, we see that God invites us to pray. He wants us to pray. He wants us to talk to him. That's what children do to their parents. So, he invites us to, you could say, maybe he even commands us to, right? Um, Psalm 50 says, Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. So, it's a privilege. It's a privilege that we only have as believers. And we're going to talk more about that in a second. I kind of alluded to it earlier. When we talk about the economy of salvation, we say that God the Father is the grand architect of our salvation, is his plan. That plan was carried out specifically in the Savior, God the Son, Jesus Christ, who took on human flesh, who lived perfectly under the law, who died in our place. And it's because of him that our sins are forgiven and that we have access to God the Father. But apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, none of that would do us any good, would it? Because it's only by faith that we can call Jesus Lord, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit, as we talked about before. So we could say salvation is from the Father through the Son in the Spirit. And when we reverse that direction, we get a picture of prayer. We, we pray in the Spirit, that is through faith. Apart from faith, you cannot please God. In fact, the book of Proverbs says, the sacrifices of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is pleasing to the Lord. So we, we pray in the Spirit through the Son. No one comes to the Father except through the Son. So we see that that's very, very specific. Psalm 145 says, The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. So, we don't need to look far to find reasons to pray, to thank God. He he blesses us in countless ways every day. As Psalm 107 says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. So, God promises to hear our prayers. He wants us to pray to him. We constantly need his help. And really, prayer is just that, right? In some ways, it's a fruit of faith. It's an act of reliance. Uh, I talk to people that I need in my life. And I need God. And my prayer is a reflection of that need. I can't control everything. I can't do everything on my own. I need God's strength. I need his wisdom. I need his love and the life that he bestows every minute of every day. And so certainly, prayer is a a natural fruit of faith. It's as natural as a child speaking to their earthly fathers and parents. So we could say, what are some of the qualities of biblical prayer or true prayer? Matthew chapter 4, Jesus said, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. So, we've already said that prayer is an act of worship, and as such, our worship is to be directed only to the true God, to the triune God of the Bible. So, we don't pray to angels, we don't pray to false gods, we don't pray to anybody but to God, who deserves our worship and our honor. In Zechariah chapter 7, 
It says, as I called and they would not hear, so they called and I would not hear, says the Lord of hosts. So again, like I said before, with the quote from the book of Proverbs, the sacrifices of the heathen are an abomination to the Lord. God does not promise to hear the prayers of those that are spoken apart from faith in Jesus. And this is kind of an interesting point because in much of Christianity today, uh, how does one become a Christian? Well, a lot of churches would say it begins with a prayer. Well, does an unbeliever's prayer reach God's ears? Or uh, does it, is it pleasing to him? You wouldn't say, hey, I'm going to give this a try. And by the way, God, you know, if you're really out there, uh, come into my heart or something. You know, it's, it's the opposite of faith. We're not just trying this out. So prayer, again, always presupposes saving faith in Jesus as our Savior. So we pray because we have faith first. John 16, Jesus said, Whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. And of course, we should qualify that, but we'll talk more about that in just a second. Again, there is sort of a movement out there, we call it the name it and claim it movement, where people say, basically, whatever your heart's desire is, you name it and claim it, and God will give it to you. In fact, if you don't have it, it's because you didn't ask sincere enough. You must be doing something wrong because uh, you, God wants to give you the desires of your heart. Well, I've heard people talk this way, and they say, well, you know, show me the money, Lord. You know, make me wealthy. I want to be rich. I want to be famous. I want a big house. I want a, a big boat and a fast car or whatever it might be. And if I don't have that, I must be doing something wrong because God wants to give me that. Uh, not true. And it's, it's actually a very dangerous teaching. Uh, it's the teaching of the prosperity preachers, obviously. It's not to say that God doesn't bless us with those things, material possessions and so on. Uh, but what if the blessings of God take a different form? What if the blessings that you need actually come in the form of poverty or suffering? You know, like Job. So, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you, certainly uh, is, is a qualified statement. It implies faith. This is not just any old thing. Whatever you ask, well, I want to win the lottery, so I must not have asked properly. Uh, I, I don't play the lottery, but if I did, you'd just say, well, all you got to do is ask. In James chapter 1, James writes, But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. So, obviously, again, a prayer presupposes saving faith in Jesus as the Savior, the only way to the Father is through the Son, and the only way that we would pray in the Son is through in the Spirit, or through faith granted by the Holy Spirit. So, we shouldn't just say, well, I'm just going to give this a try. Uh, I don't know if this will work or not, but I'm just going to throw this out there. God, if you're there, uh, show me the money or whatever your, your prayer might be in that situation. Uh, th that would be improper. We, we obviously, uh, we ask in faith, and that also means that in faith, our Father's will is our will, or our will should be bent to our Father's will. So, Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? 
And I suppose we should probably qualify, well, what is a good thing? Uh, I might think more money is a good thing or uh, whatever it might be materially. God might say, that's not a good thing for you at all. That's actually, it would be your downfall. That would be the snare that would lead you away from me. So when we say, you know, we ask God for good things or he gives us good things, it's according to his definition of good. And that might look different than our own definition. Uh, so First John 5, this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So we ask it according to his will, if it be your will. So there's sort of two categories of prayer that we could talk about. One of them, the first one being unconditional prayers. So there are certain things that the Bible tells us absolutely that God wants to give us. He wants to give us salvation in his son. God desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So we, we, can, we can pray unconditionally that God would grant us that kind of wisdom, that kind of faith in Jesus as our Savior. And that would also imply the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because apart from the Holy Spirit, we couldn't believe those things. So we, we don't have to say, if it be your will, grant me stronger faith, Lord. Because we know he wants to give us strong faith. But when it comes to things in our day-to-day -day life that the, the Bible does not talk about, such as, I would really like this career move, this new job, or this new house, or whatever it might be, this relationship to work out, we don't know, the scriptures don't tell us for certain what our career path is going to be, or any of those types of things. So we always pray, if it be your will. It's not my will. Not my will be done, but your will be done. And this is pleasing to God. Obviously, he's the one in control. He knows what's best for us. He knows better than we know. So he also knows what's going to be harmful to us better than we know. So uh, it's important that we pray according to his will and that we really want his will to be done, recognizing that his will is more important than even our own. Luke chapter 22, Jesus said, Father, if you are willing... Remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. There you have Jesus himself giving us that example as he uh, felt the full weight of the sins on his, were, uh, on his shoulders in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying that anguished prayer. So true prayer, we could say, is addressed to the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Prayers spoken to false gods, or uh, angels, or saints, or whoever it might be, uh, we don't have any evidence from the scriptures that they are heard, or that they're even pleasing to God. True prayer is spoken in the name of Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that every prayer has to end with this tagline, in Jesus' name. I think sometimes people think that prayer in the name of Jesus implies that it has to be, if you don't add that little tagline at the end of your prayers, somehow it's like, uh, you know, sending a text to somebody and forgetting to hit the send button. You got it all typed out there, but because you forgot to hit the send button, it doesn't go through. That's why he didn't give you what you wanted. Yeah, so you, you said all this big long prayer and it was so fancy and everything, boy, he'd really be impressed, but you forgot to say, you forgot to say in the name of Jesus at the very end. Now, obviously, all of the things that we mentioned thus far, faith implies faith in the triune God. It implies faith in Jesus as our Savior. So the only reason we're even coming to the Father or we can come to the Father is because or through the Son. 
So every Christian prayer, in a certain sense, is spoken in Jesus' name. Whether that's explicitly said or not is not the point here. There's no magical incantation if you add that little tagline, in Jesus' name, therefore it's good, it goes through. Otherwise, it doesn't. It's like forgetting to put a stamp on your mail. That's so old-fashioned. People don't do that anymore. (laughs) Only when we believe in Jesus as our Savior and approach God in such faith are our prayers acceptable to God. And true prayer is spoken with the confidence that God will hear us. He promises to hear us, and he promises to answer our prayers. We'll talk more about that in a second, too. True prayer asks for things that are in agreement with God's will. So we wouldn't pray for something sinful and expect God to grant it to us. The things which God has promised in the scriptures, such as forgiveness of sins, we should ask for without condition. But when we ask for things that God has not expressly promised, such as healing or prosperity, we trust in God's wisdom and we ask that he grant us these things if it be his will or according to his will. Which also begs the question, does God always answer our prayers? And, uh, you know, when I was growing up, Garth Brooks had a a song that said, some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. And I'd say, well, that's a cool song, but not necessarily good theology. Of course, we, you know, to put the best construction on it, we'll give Garth a a pass on this one. Uh, I think he meant the right thing. He prayed for this girlfriend or whatever when he was in high school and He thought that was the one, and it turned out that it wasn't, and then he runs into her at a football game with his new wife and everything years later, and he reminisces and he thanks God that he didn't answer those prayers back then because things turned out the way they were supposed to. So, does God... (laughs) We don't quote Garth Brooks for our theology, but... uh, (laughs) What? Yeah. Well, uh, So, does God always answer our prayers? Uh, We're not going to look to Garth Brooks for the answer to this one. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, God is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Can you imagine if God were limited to our prayers? So somebody who has a terrible disease and they're about to die and they pray to God and they say, God, oh, just grant me two more weeks of life. And he says, oh man, that's that's terrible. That's too bad. I hear I was going to heal you, but... You said only two weeks, so I guess that's what you're going to get. You know, I had so much more intended for you. No, God is not limited to what we ask or think, and he's not uh, simply the genie in a bottle waiting around for us to give him commands and dictate to him when and how things should happen. He's able to do far more than we even ask or think about, which is comfort, right? There's There's no problem too big that God couldn't tackle it doesn't mean that he always will. We take the case of St. Paul, who had what he called a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, he said. And in 2 Corinthians 12, he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. In other words, God's answer was no. He answered Paul's prayer, just not the way Paul wanted it answered. He didn't say, well, you you forgot to add the magic words in Jesus' name at the end. So much for the old prosperity preachers that say, well, if you didn't get it, it's because you didn't ask right. Paul, man, if you would have just read the, the latest book out there, you know, you would have gotten this. It would have been happened. No, 
it was a blessing. It was a certain, uh, Paul actually says it was to keep, keep him from becoming conceited because of the wonderful revelations, the great revelations he had received. So there was a blessing involved in this thorn in the flesh, this struggle, uh, this, what Paul calls a messenger of Satan, ends up being sort of a, a blessing to him because it keeps him from becoming too prideful. And in the process, he's also learning to lean on God's grace instead of trusting in himself or his own greatness or something like that. My grace is sufficient for you, God told him. My power is made perfect in weakness. And if you go on and you read what Paul says after that, it's just wonderful. He says, and for this reason, you know, I'll boast in my weaknesses and my sufferings and so on. Uh, For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. So, God answers our prayers, and the answers generally fall into you know, maybe three categories. You could probably find more, I guess. There's a yes answer, but it may not be on your time frame. It could be a long time from now, right? Uh, it could be a no answer, and that no might come immediately, or that no might come later as well. So I guess those would be two categories, but the third one you could just say the answer is wait, not right now. Or, or maybe even another category would be, I've got something far better. Here's what you asked for, but guess what? I've got something way, way better than that. But the point is, is God always does answer our prayers. He, he promises this. He hears it and he answers it. Now, what are some of the other things that the scriptures teach concerning prayer? 1 Timothy chapter 2, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. And really, all of these things are forms or come out in the form of prayer. Supplications, intercessions, thanksgivings, those would all come out in prayer. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, Love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Now, this is kind of an interesting thing. By nature, what are the things that we tend to pray about, Lauren? Things we want. Yeah, our, 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 uh, our prayers tend to be I-centered, me-centered. I just, I just, Lord, I just want, I just need this. They sound like a Christmas wish list. By nature, we don't do very well in praying for others. So not only do we, are we supposed to pray for all people according to their needs, but we are also supposed to pray for our enemies. And that doesn't really come very naturally to us. So one of the wonderful things uh, that happens when we come together as Christians in the divine service is we have something called the prayer of the church, in which we pray for all people according to their needs. We pray for our governors, our our ruling authorities, uh, the president. Uh, We pray for those who are sick or suffering, those who are separated from us for those who are poor or starving or who, you name it, uh, it includes all people. And this is a good prayer. It trains us in the proper things to pray for, things that don't come very naturally to us. So that's something that we do, uh, we do on our own as well. I don't want to limit it to the church service by any means, but it's built into our worship here in the church. The, the other thing, maybe I'll bring it up now because uh, I, I, otherwise I'll forget, But very often, um, people come to our churches, we're a Lutheran church, a confessional Lutheran church, 
And they think that our worship style is very old-fashioned. We use hymnals. We open hymnals. We've got prayers, colics, they call them, that we use. Some of them we use week in and week out. Some of them change with each week. But some people from the outside might come in and say, well, that's old-fashioned. It doesn't seem very heartfelt. Don't you guys ever just pray from the heart what you're feeling? That's so much better. That's the kind of worship that, that's true worship of God. It's so much better. So sometimes there's this pitting of what we call ex corde prayer, which is spontaneously from the heart, which we do. I mean, don't, don't, don't assume that we don't do that. We, I mean, if I go to visit somebody in the hospital, I don't necessarily have a pre-thought-out prayer I might use. I, I do have a prayer book I sometimes bring with me, but very often it's just something that I come up with on the spot. But in the church, we also have these set prayers that we use. They say, well, that's, those aren't very good. You're, that's so, you're just going through it mechanically. You're just reciting the words. It's not very heartfelt, which is a very judgmental statement. Nobody can see into your hearts. Obviously, you know, we don't want to go through mechanically just reciting things. We want to be praying from the heart, even as we're reading these set prayers. But this idea that somehow ex corde from the heart prayer is better than set prayers is, is really not consistent with what the scriptures themselves teach. For instance, the book of Psalms. We know that the Psalms was, in many ways, the, the hymnal or even the prayer book of the Old Testament believers. And by Jesus' day, the Psalms were, were being prayed in the synagogues regularly, daily, whatever they might be. And yet we would say, those are set prayers, aren't they? I mean, That's not from the heart. Those are words that God has given us. They're inspired by God, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And when we think about Jesus himself going off to pray oftentimes, uh, we find that throughout the, the Gospels, before every major event in Jesus' ministry, he's off praying. And his disciples ask him about this. You know, they say, well, other people's, other people are being taught to pray from their teachers, why don't you teach us to pray? And so Jesus says a lot about prayer, but he gives them a prayer known as the Lord's Prayer. Now, Lord's Prayer is a set prayer, isn't it? I mean, so if somehow you're going to say that your ex corde prayers are better, then you're going to say that your prayers are better than the Lord's himself. And remember back to our earlier discussion, It's the words that our Father speaks to us that informs our prayers. We speak in the same language that he's taught us to speak. So it's not surprising then that we find our prayers often reflecting biblical truth, speaking those biblical truths back to God, articulating those biblical truths. That's normal. That's what children do as they learn to speak from their parents. And somehow people say, well, Ah, uh, but if it's not from our prayers from the heart are better than those things, and and I'm not I'm not don't mean this to sound critical, but very often when you hear these people pray, it doesn't sound very reflective of biblical truth. Very often it's it's rambling with a lot of filler, and uh, sometimes they're referred to as the we just prayers. Lord, we just, and if I don't think of anything else to say, I'm just going to say, Lord, we just, and 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 Lord, we just. But it sounds good. But it's, it's more heartfelt. I mean, that's kind of the argument. And again, uh, nothing against those kinds of prayers. The, the point here is not to look down on it as if it's somehow, you know, those people are, are beneath me by any means. 
There's times where that's certainly called for and appropriate, but to somehow say it's better is ill-informed. It's not consistent with what the Bible itself teaches. And we worship God in spirit, this is true, but we also worship him in truth. And truth is defined by God, not by us. And it's reflected in the scriptures. So it's not surprising that in the New Testament church, since the earliest centuries, we find these wonderful prayers spoken, written, recorded by Christians that are reflective of scriptural truth and articulating that scriptural truth and speaking that scriptural truth back to God. It makes our prayers consistent with his will and so on. So, again, I just wanted to address this idea that somehow ex corde prayers from the heart, spontaneous prayers, are somehow better than set prayers. No, and I, and I wouldn't say the opposite either. I wouldn't say set prayers are absolutely always better than from the heart prayers, but they do have certain advantages at times as well. I mean, uh, it's informed by the scriptures when we don't know what to pray for. We've got these wonderful prayer books that we can go to, and we, we know that these are, are well-written, constructed prayers that are consistent with biblical truth. So, like anything, we learn to speak the words of prayer from, from those who have gone before us. You know, it was probably your, your parents who taught you to, to pray when you were growing up, right? When you were going to bed, they might have said prayers with you before bedtime, you prayed before dinner, whatever it might have been, and maybe you still use some of those prayers, and that's okay. Uh, Hebrews chapter 9 says, It is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So, once a person has died, our prayers, there's nothing that says our prayers will do them any good. Uh, the moment of death, they're either in heaven or they're in hell, and our prayers don't change that after that. So, according to the clear teachings of the scriptures, it doesn't seem, we, we have no command or directive to pray for the dead, or to the dead, or for the dead. Sometimes we do, I think on All Saints Day, we do, we do thank God for those who have gone before us, the examples they've set. Uh, we, we sometimes say prayers at committals that God would preserve the remains of our loved ones until the day of uh, resurrection and so on, but that's probably as close as we come in our church to praying for the dead. 1 Timothy 2, verse 8, I desire then that in every place men should pray. So we don't have to be in church to pray. We can be praying anywhere uh, at any time. I know growing up, uh, there's a lot of Christians who feel very strongly that prayer needs to be allowed in public schools. And it's kind of a controversial subject, but to, to my way of thinking, it was never banned. Who, who can stop you from praying? How does anybody even know if you're praying? Unless you're making a show of it. You, you could be sitting in middle math class and you could be praying the whole time. I mean, who's going to stop you? Uh, I think what they're saying is there should be sanctioned prayers, and that can, that can be good, or it can also be very dangerous, because if you say, well, Christians should be allowed to pray, then you should also, then you have to say every other religion deserves to pray as well. And obviously the Bible doesn't say that our prayer is equal. Uh, the prayers that are made to heathen gods are not heard by God, and are not just different avenues to the same place. As Christians, we wouldn't want to participate in prayers to idols or false gods. 
Jesus said, Matthew chapter 6, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So we don't need to make a show of our prayers. Uh, we can do this alone. In fact, uh, it's between you and God in many ways. So we, we don't do this and go out in the middle of the street and disfigure our face and put our hands up in there so that everybody can know that we're praying. Not that there's not a time and a place to do such a thing, I guess, but uh, it's just not something that we're commanded to do. And furthermore, drawing attention to ourselves is kind of the opposite attitude of prayer. Psalm 26, in the great assembly, I will bless the Lord. So we do this when we come together as a church, right? We pray together as believers. We are saved in community. We need one another and other people need us. This is why we, we also ask other people, will you pray for me, right? We've got prayer lists and prayer chains and different things in congregations and churches that people, if, if there's a special needs, then we pray about it. We also come together as the body of Christ corporately in worship to pray together as well. The Bible says, pray without ceasing, 1 Thessalonians 5. And that maybe sounds like a, a strange statement. How do you pray without ceasing? I mean, I have to do other things in life. I have to be able to work. I need to be able to carry on conversations with other people. How can I be praying the whole time? But in a certain sense, remember that that spirit of prayer is one of dependence upon God. It's one that acknowledges I need God at every moment of every day. That implies that I'm, I'm going to be in constant communication with him. And even if you're not explicitly praying, as in sitting down, folding your hands, closing your eyes, whatever it might be, that attitude uh, continues with you the rest of the day as well. So pray without ceasing. Always be in a spirit of prayer, I guess you could say, in a certain sense. Psalm 50, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Obviously, we should pray at all times, but especially we think about those troubling times. Somebody's sick, somebody's in danger, somebody's in an accident, somebody desperately needs our intercession, they're going through something, whatever it might be. The scriptures say, yeah, we should call upon God in those times, especially in times of trouble. So, again, just to reiterate some of the points we just mentioned, you know, we should pray for ourselves, obviously, but we should also pray for other people, even for our enemies. Prayer should be part of our private worship of God, but also it is and always has been a part of the public worship of God, the corporate worship of God, of the church. We should pray at all times and without ceasing, but especially in times of trouble. Now, I mentioned before the Lord's Prayer, which you could say is a set prayer, remember? It's recorded in Matthew chapter 6 and Luke 11. But I guess, how does Jesus himself teach us to pray? Well, he gives us the Lord's Prayer. And I think most people know the Lord's Prayer. Even uh, when we have got guests and visitors uh, at our houses or in our churches, you very seldom ever have to teach somebody the Lord's Prayer. Even a person who has very little experience with the church, somehow, someway, they learn the Lord's Prayer from somebody. At least that's what it used to be. I don't know if that's true anymore. But it's one of those things where I think the Lord's Prayer is one of those prayers that very often is recited and people think there's some sort of magic in the words themselves. Uh, but remember, we want to be thinking about what these petitions mean. So instead of praying through it quickly just to kind of get through it and saying, 
you know, the, the emphasis is not on the number of times you've said it, but rather on focusing on what each petition asks for. I think this is a very good exercise for us to do in our prayers. And as we do that, we begin to think about what each thing is that we're asking for in the petitions. So we're going to do that right now and uh, go through the petitions briefly and explore maybe a little bit about what we're exactly asking for in those petitions. And if you're familiar with the Lutheran Church, uh, Martin Luther does this in his small catechism. We're going to kind of do something similar here. So when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, he says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Now, you could say that the Lord's Prayer could be divided into an introduction, and then seven petitions, and a conclusion, if you will. So the introduction being, Our Father who art in heaven. So, you know, Jesus teaches us to call God our Father because he wants us to know him as our loving Father and to pray to him without fear or doubt, to see him in that same relationship that we, we think about in our earthly fathers. We talk to our parents, at least we should if we have a good relationship with them, right? If we can, if they're still alive. Now, into the petitions. Hallowed be thy name. Old, old-fashioned word. We're talking old English. It's, it's funny that in churches that are very dead set on modernizing all language, <laughs> then you get to the Lord's Prayer and we go, hallowed be thy name. You know, people, we go right back to Old English and nobody complains about it. And I'm not complaining about it because I think you contextualize, you, we teach people how to understand language. So I'm not one of those that says, oh, we have to modernize everything. I think that's, that's um, there's value in keeping the wording the same for future generations instead of having to relearn everyone's language. Now, that being said, language does change over time. So we don't use this term hallowed very often, but we use it in the Lord's Prayer. So what does that even mean? It means that we pray that our Heavenly Father would help us to honor his name or keep his name holy. And how do we do that? Well, according to the scriptures, we do that by the pure teaching of his word. And when we when we live according to that word, right? That's how we honor or we keep God's name holy among us. We call upon him in prayer and praise, and we teach his word in its truth and purity. Now, that would be a spiritual blessing, right? The, the next petition says, thy kingdom come. Well, we know God's kingdom is not of this earth, at least not in a visible sense. So what is it that we're exactly asking for in this petition? We're praying that through the preaching of the gospel, God's kingdom of grace may come to us and be extended to others as well, and that we all may soon be with Jesus in his kingdom of glory in heaven. So really, we're praying for the church. We're praying for the spreading of the gospel, that more people would be brought into Christ's kingdom and that that kingdom would come amongst us. So again, a spiritual blessing. That's what we're asking for. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, what is God's will according to the scriptures? 
God's will is that all men be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So certainly we pray for that in this petition. And we know that God's will is done without our prayer. It's not like he's contingent upon us. Well, I would have done that, but oh, you guys never asked for it. But we pray that he, in this petition, would break and he would hinder all evil in this world, that he would strengthen our faith and preserve us in his grace. Now, again, a spiritual blessing. The next petition, give us this day our daily bread. We pray that God would give us the things we need for this life, that he would make us grateful for what we have and be content with without worrying about the future. Now, uh, Luther would say he would give a whole list of all the blessings that God gives, bestows upon us, and uh, family, home, health, all these different things. But I'll just point out, remember that the next petition here is forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. So one thing we've noticed about the first three petitions is that they're all asking for spiritual blessings. And the next three petitions also ask for spiritual blessings. Lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. This one in the middle, give us this day our daily bread, I would say there's another way to view this. Now, you could say that God would give us everything necessary for this body and life. That's certainly not untrue. But everything we've spoken thus far is spiritual. Everything we're going to speak after this is spiritual. What is the bread, the daily bread? Think about that phrase in a biblical context. To the Jewish people, they knew daily bread from the history of Israel. And that daily bread was manna in the wilderness, right? Uh, they would, that's what they learned. They learned to, to eat what God provided for them. They tried to, to get more and, and keep it for days. It, it didn't work. They learned to trust in God for each day's needs. So that was the manna in the desert. But if you fast forward to the New Testament, John chapter 6, Jesus says, I'm the true manna that came down from heaven. You know, your forefathers ate manna in the desert, but they're dead. I am the true bread that comes down from heaven, that he, he who eats of me may not die, but live forever. So, uh, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I would encourage you to see this petition Christocentrically. When we ask, give us this day our daily bread, we need Christ. We need him at the center every day. And this petition is kind of at the center of the seven petitions. So, not surprising as we're praying for spiritual blessings, that the prayer for daily bread would be at the center. And when we think about who our daily bread is, it's Christ. Now, the rest of the blessings flow from that. Think about the next petition. Forgive us our trespasses. Well, how can we be certain that God forgives us? For Christ's sake. He's the one who's the Savior from sin. And as we are forgiven in Christ, we also forgive those who trespass against us. So we pray that God would forgive us for our many sins, for Jesus' sake, and then as he loved us, so we love because he first loved us. We forgive even as we've been forgiven. We, we share that forgiveness with others. It's pretty, it would be pretty stingy if we said, God, uh, I need your forgiveness, and then we refuse to give it to other people. Uh, but very often that can be our attitude, isn't it? Anyways, so we're praying for spiritual blessings here. Again, and then the next petition, lead us not into temptation. We pray that God would spare us from falling into temptation, that he would give us the grace to be watchful and not to sin against him, and deliver us from evil, 
We pray that God would shield us from evil and harm. And if in his wisdom he places a struggle or a cross into our life, that he would help us bear it, give us the strength to bear it with Christian patience and trust, and finally take us to our home in heaven. So, again, this is a good exercise to try sometime. Go through the petitions of the Lord's Prayer slowly and try to think about what you're asking for in each petition. And uh, you'll see that there's value in doing this. And of course, then it ends with the conclusion, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. We know that God is the ruler over all things. He can certainly help us. Uh, There's nothing that is too big for him to tackle. So, that's a little bit on the subject of prayer, and there's a lot more that I could say, and this is probably not a very coherent uh, discussion on it. There's a lot of thoughts I have on it, and there are a lot of good resources out there. Uh, If you don't have a good prayer book at home, a devotional book, something that can help guide you in daily prayer, uh, there are many wonderful resources out there, and some are much better than others. Uh, But feel free to ask me, you know, which ones I use, and I'd be more than happy to share that information with you. Uh, But something I would encourage everybody to do is to have a disciplined prayer life. If we leave it to when it's convenient, we probably won't do it unless we're really, really down and out or we're really in trouble. But learning to, to build prayer into your daily routine is important. It's important for us to try to build that discipline of a prayer life. And everybody fails, right? I mean, it's like those New Year's resolutions. Uh, I want to read my Bible more. I want to have a more regular prayer life. And we start off with the good intentions, and then sooner or later, we, you know, we revert back to our old habits and our old routines, and it's, it's just not there. So I think prayer is one of those things where we can really beat ourselves up, right? We, we go to church with good intentions, and we're really trying to focus And then they start praying, and the prayer seems really long, and pretty soon our mind starts to drift away, and we're thinking about what we're going to have for lunch, or the football game that's going to be on later that day, or whatever it might be. Uh, Wait a second. Where, what am I should be praying? Oh, man, I'm so terrible. I can't. Yeah, so obviously there's always these these things trying to to pull us away from uh, prayer, you know, speaking to God from the heart. So we've got a lot of challenges in this regard, but it's good for us to discipline ourselves with practice. We learn uh, the art of prayer. Uh, We see the value and the privilege and the blessings that come with it as well as we study it in the scriptures, as we make use of this privileged thing of speaking to God, knowing that he hears us, that he promises to answer us. So maybe we'll have more of a discussion on prayer again in the future, Uh, but for now we're going to move on to other things. So we do hope that you've found this discussion beneficial, and uh, we hope that you'll join us next time here on Under the Oaks. This is Pastor Trent Sari. And I'm Lauren Thompson. We'll see you soon.